G'day, you're watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, this service has been prepared for the fifth Sunday after Easter, uh, 9 May 2021. My name is Adam Draycott and I extend to you a warm welcome. Welcome to uh, this time together as we open up the scriptures, we share God's word together digitally. Our sentence of scripture comes from Isaiah 48. It says, Declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it forth to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has set his people free. Isaiah 48 verse 20. The Lord has set his people free. He has set his people free indeed. Let's have a time of praise. come to the ministry of God's Word, we continue our series in the book of Romans. 
So please be reading through the book of Romans as you prepare for each Sunday. That will be enormously helpful. Uh, we're also going to... Um, the other Old Testament reading, rather, is Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 5, Psalm 51. And our preaching passage is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you that uh, thank you that we can share this way with our Bibles open, that we can be fed and nurtured through the ministry of your word. Uh, please speak to our hearts and minds that you grow us in Christ Jesus. Uh, be at work by your Spirit. Show us the glory and wonder that is your Son, Jesus, and lead us in the way of repentance and faith. We ask this all to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Who likes a good boast? Aussies don't really come at it, do we? We think boasting's not very cool. If you talk yourself up, you can be sure of being smacked down. To other cultures, it's quite permissible. Um... Often, the source of boasting is me. It's, uh, oh, look at me, Kimmy, Kimmy, look at me. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? Or look what I have. I am the focus of such boasting. Sometimes we might boast about our children, uh, their performance, or our stuff. Boasting can be a form of comparing, getting one over the other person, feeling better about oneself, we might do that vicariously through our football team. Five minutes before I got on this, one of my mates is sending me a text message that says, go the Sharkies, because they're playing against my team this weekend, and of course they're going to lose. See? We're boasting. Uh, we're getting a rise out of each other, and it's a way of one-upmanship. We'll see what happens this weekend. And if our team wins, we feel good and better, and if your team Losers like the Sharkies are going to lose tonight. Well, uh, that can be that's going to be depressing for you. To boast is to express confidence. It actually speaks to our identity, uh, something about our identity, uh, something that we're confident about, and a certainty that we have in someone or something. So, a good question then to ask is, what do you boast about? What do you rejoice at? Interestingly, the book of Romans, in chapter 5, we are encouraged to be people that boast. Not in a proud, look-at-me kind of way. Uh, there's something else going on. So come with me. Romans chapter 5. It begins, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? That's the standard question. Last week, Romans tells us we can be right with God. Can you believe it? Like Abraham was right with God, despite all the appearances for Abraham, from a place of barrenness and death, uh, life springs forth. Same for us. From a place of emptiness and weakness and death springs eternal life by faith in Christ Jesus. We're justified. What does that mean? It means that we're made right. Just as if I'd never sinned. We are right with God. But so what? Someone might say, so what? Who cares? Uh, well, we need to care. 
What's the difference? Well, look, look at the so what. Verse 1, Therefore, because we've been made right, since we've been justified, made right, through faith, so not me, but the object of my faith, we have peace with God through, here it is, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith. And on it goes. Here's the first thing. Here is the so what. You've got peace with God. Paul's been saying in chapters 1, 2, and 3, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Now he says, those in Christ have peace with God. You're not objects of wrath. You're actually people who are right with him. But what kind of peace? Well, this isn't the kind of United Nations peace where people, nations, just kind of put up with each other. A tolerant kind of peace where we still hate each other's guts, but... We just get on and ignore each other. It's not that kind of peace. No, God's peace is peace where God does not hold anything against you. That's peace. A peace that enjoys harmony and joy and, and trust and gladness of friendship. There are no skeletons in your closet anymore. They're gone. That kind of peace. I said to someone this week, you know, I reckon peace with God is massively underrated in our world. A world that lacks so much peace. Christians can offer peace with God. What an opportunity we have to speak of it. Christians have peace with God by faith in Christ. And so breathe it in, take it in, meditate on that thought, peace with God. You have it. Question is, well, do you, do you know it? Do you know this peace? Are you sure of it? Are you confident and certain that you are at peace with God? If you're not, you need to talk to someone. And if peace with God is not already monumental, there's another. What is it? There's another so what? So what? It's grace. Look at verse 2. Through whom, Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Door is open on account of Jesus. Now we stand not in judgment, but in grace. God relates to me through my substitute Jesus through his death and on that basis God says you are right with me at the cross Jesus um, at the cross God treated Jesus the way I deserve and now God treats me the way Jesus deserves and so we stand in a relationship of grace I've done nothing to deserve that that is completely unconditional Human relationships are not like that. Our marriage, our children, our employer, our friends, our schoolmates, our love has a limit. Our love is conditioned by the performance of others. Our relationships are not unconditional. We might say that they are, but the fact is, I don't reckon they are at all. But God's grace is. God's grace is not conditioned by our performance, by grace. No, we stand in the performance of our substitute, Jesus, whose performance was always perfect. 
We stand, it means that we stand in grace which is undeserved and unearned. And so if peace wasn't already enough, and if grace wasn't already enough, let's talk about hope. Look at verse 2. We rejoice, or quite literally, we boast. That's what my translation says. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Is that like, go the sharkies like my mate sent me that text message. Is that like hoping your footy team wins? Is it that kind of hope? Against all hope, you hope. (laughs) Despite the odds, you hope. Some people are parochial like that. They get mouthy despite the odds. But if God's grace is the source of hope, then why not? If it's God in whom we hope, then we can be confident and we can be sure of the hope of sharing in God's glory, being with him for all eternity, being in that incredible future that God has opened up for us, where God is going to perfect us according to the perfect human image of God, that is Jesus. The same Jesus who is the very glory of God. We'll be like him. We'll be with him and we'll be like him. Our weak, disease-prone bodies will be no more. Instead, we'll be raised immortal. Paul says, boast about it. Rejoice. It's a sure thing. Speak it out. Use your words. Unmute yourself. You've seen that ad maybe in Australia. Unmute yourself. Speak about this. Text your messages about that. We rejoice. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. But look, there's more. Look, verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Does it really say rejoice in our sufferings? It absolutely does. How are we supposed to do that? Well, let me explain. Three things real quick. If you're following the outline, follow me really quickly. First thing, suffering leads to hope. We see that in verses 3 to 4, which means it's not suffering is not an end in and of itself. That's a good thing. Suffering actually builds endurance and character, and ultimately it leads to hope. This is a good thing. This is how God remakes us. Here's the second thing. Suffering is par for the course. It's normative. Sorry, but it is. We live in a world covered by the curse. No one is immune, whoever we are. We're all subjected to it. It reminds us there's a God and that we need him. John agreed, Jesus agrees rather in John's Gospel 16 verse 33. Jesus promised his disciples, In this world you will have trouble. It's normative. But where there is suffering, there is hope for the Christian. So take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. That's our source of hope, isn't it? Here's the third thing. So the first thing, it's not an end in and of itself. Second thing, it's par for the course. Third thing, God uses suffering to accomplish his purposes. The trials of life are a means of testing and exercising faith. Don't you know it? Don't you know it? Otherwise, what's the need? Suffering stops us from being comfortable and cosy and complacent. So when our love affair with the world leads us to seek security and comfort in this life, guess what the antidote might be? Sorry, that was a bug. 
Guess what the antidote might be? Suffering. That's the antidote. It pries us away from the world and its pleasures. And it has us remember our dependence on our maker and, we, and the hope that we have in him. And so Paul is calling us to boast, to rejoice in the midst of our sufferings or because of them, because we know it's never for naught. Your suffering is never for naught. Whoever you are, wherever you are, this is not for nothing. In your suffering, you get to be a light to other people. It's how God galvanizes our hope. Hope that we can then boast about. A real hope. Not an empty hope like hope in the Sharkies win, alright? Now hope is then the unshakable ground of verses 5 to 10. Two reasons. Let me say it again. Hope is the unshakable ground of verses 5 to 10. First thing, God's love for us in Christ, verses 5 to 8. That is the unshakable ground of our hope. God's love for us in Christ. So verse 5, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God's love, notice, is poured. It is not dripped or trickled out like a, a, a stingy tap. God's love is not stingy as it's dispensed. It's poured like water out of a bucket. It is the Spirit dwelling in the hearts of believers who communicates God's love to us. How do you know God's love? How do you know God loves you? Really, how do you know God loves you? Look at verse 6. You see, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. As we reflect on the truth of the gospel, verse 6, God's love is poured out, verse 5, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. At the time God determined, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly, by the way, is you and me. Wretched sinners, objects of wrath. This is what Christ did. Chapters 1 to 3, grab the magnitude of sin. Wretched we are, people who refuse to worship God. But here in chapter 5, such is the magnitude of God's love as he sends his son to die for us, for those same, very same people. I mean, compare human love to God's love. Verse 7, let's do that. Verse, verse 7, well, rarely someone might dare to die for a righteous person or, or a good man might possibly dare to die. And we know that that's true in war. A soldier might do that or a hero might rescue someone at their own cost of their own life. It happens from time to time. But verse 8, here it is. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the magnitude of God's love for you in this picture, in verses 6 to 8? Look at the words describing humanity. We're described as powerless, ungodly, sinners, yet Christ who is powerful, Christ who is not only godly, he's God. Christ who is without sin. Christ is the one that dies for us in our place. While we humanity flip the bird at God and set up yours, whilst we were in rebellion against God, Christ, God's son, is nailed to a cross for those same people. And so hope does not disappoint. 
Hope does not disappoint because God loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us. Hope is anchored to the unshakable ground of God's love. What's the other unshakable ground of God's love? Well, look at verses 9 to 10. He has done the greater thing. How much more will he do the lesser? Note the parallels. Look at verse 9. Through his blood we've been justified. Verse 10, through his death we've been reconciled. All means that we're right with God. How much more then, Paul reasons, can we be sure that God will complete his work by saving us from wrath in the last day? God will bring his enemies, those who were rebellious sinners, into a relationship with him as an act of amazing love. Verses 5 to 8 tell us that amazing act is the harder thing. It's already the greater thing. How much more then? If that is true, how much more then will he do the easier thing, maybe the lesser thing of delivering us from wrath? It's going to happen. As surely as Jesus died on the cross and rose again, of course we're going to be delivered from wrath. I think that's what Paul is saying. People of people whom God has already brought to himself. Verse 11, Paul returns to the theme of rejoicing and boasting. This is how he started. Not only so, verse 11, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus uh, Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've already received reconciliation. It means salvation is certain. Paul invites us to take joyful pride, joyful pride, not arrogant pride, joyful pride in God, in what God has given us and and in the complete assurance that God will deliver us from the final outpouring of wrath on the final day of judgment. So here is the encouragement again. If all of this is true on the theme of boasting, unmute yourself, Christian. You have peace with God. Unmute yourself. Boast. Rejoice. You stand in God's grace. Unmute yourself. We can be certain and sure of the hope we have. So unmute yourself. This is what Paul is saying. Declare it. Do what Isaiah 48 says, the sentence. Send it forth to the end of the earth. Declare this with a shout of joy. The Lord has set his people free. It's an Old Testament command. It's here again in Romans 5. Same thing. The ICU ward um, of the Westmead Children's Hospital. Uh, four beds, one room. Quiet pings of machines and oxygen tanks. and it, It's um, somber. A somber place. Uh, imagine being in that space. There's a sick child in every cot, four cots. Ours was a six-month-old at the time. Uh, she'd had open-heart surgery, and it's okay. She's all good. But at the time, she was in ICU. Um, two other beds in the room. Clearly too much for the parents. Got a feel for them. Um, they were absent for much of the time, really, that we were there. When they did pop in, they'd tell us what they were doing. One couple went for a long drive and then they went to the movies to take their minds off things. It was all too much for them. Such was their despair. 
Another couple went home to watch the football with their mates and drank as much alcohol as they could, they said. Why? To take their mind off such things. It's a really sad picture, isn't it? Did they hope against all hope? And the answer can only be no, they didn't. No, they didn't hope against all hope. Romans 5 shows us that the way of Christian faith is that we do and we must. The Christian must hope against all hope. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Have you heard it before? To hope against all hope. It actually comes from Romans. It's actually part of last week's passage, Romans 4.18. It tells us that against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Believed what? Well, remember, there were no prospects for Abraham. Nothing in his favour. He's a hundred. Sarah, she's as old and her womb, we're told, is dead. Uh, against all worldly odds, they got no chance except one that matters. The God who gives life. So here's the question. As we think about Romans 5, are you fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised? That on the basis of his love for us, through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, he will deliver us from wrath on the last day. That he has and will save undeserving sinners and raise us anew from a place of death and emptiness and weakness like it was for Abraham, but it's Jesus. Our outlook is grounded in the cross and the world says, no chance people. But the Bible says our, our outlook is a certain outlook. It is strong. It is eternal even. And our hope defies human expectation of hope. That we'll be risen from the dead, raised to life immortal, delivered to the new creation. See, what do you hope for? What do you boast about? You, you can't hope that your health will hold out. I've got news for you. You can't hope in your performance. Don't hope in the sacraments. Don't hope in your superannuation. Don't hope in the next season. Don't hope in yourself. Or please, please don't burden your children with all of your own hope and expectations. Our hope, our only hope, is only found secure in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed by the cross and resurrection. What more could God possibly do to convince you or to assure you of his love for you that he would give his one and only son? So do you know God's peace? You stand in his grace. Are you assured of this hope? And now... Because all of that is true, are you boasting in him? Have you unmuted yourself? Verse 2, are you boasting in the hope of the glory of God? <laughs> Heaven's going to be good. Verse 11, are you boasting in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation? You and God are friends. Are you boasting in your suffering? That you can make sense of whatever trial it is that you're going through, that you know that it's not for nothing, that God has a purpose. 
And so, Christian, Romans 5, go on, get boasting. Boast in the Lord, however. Unmute yourself with all praise to God for his love toward us in Christ Jesus. That's the idea.